0: Have you seen what he's been up to? Yeah.
1: Have you seen what he's been up to? He's tweeting now. He's tweeting now. And he's <laughs> like I got a lot of
0: scores to settle. So it's going to be fun. Uh, and I was like this country's gone to hell pretty much. And you know what's interesting also, especially that nobody for me cares. as a 90s guy? Yes, and that like John Oliver's like, "Yes, if I killed two people, what if I killed four people?" Like like there was a time when people were very skittish about saying O.J. Simpson murdered two people in cold blood because they just didn't know, and it was a whole thing and then political, blah, blah, blah. Now, it's, like, commonly understood that O.J. is a fucking cold-blooded murderer, and some people were called racists at the time for saying that, which, I mean, carried with it its own socio-political baggage, but at the same time, like, even when that happened, um, you know, people were like, how dare you make that assumption? Aside from him being a celebrity, it was all like, how could you say that? Well, Rodney no King sure? had just happened and stuff. Right.
1: And like, I, it's what's it was what the community though? wanted at yeah. the time,
0: which is fine. And I understand that. But it's just so funny now how it's just taken for granted that that is true, which everybody kind of knew was true. And then now we're like actually admitting it to ourselves in a certain sense. And yeah. also, oh, Jesus, comeback. Right. For any number of reasons. Yeah,
1: I mean, he's, he sells his own fake memorabilia, or like does sports memorabilia scams. He was selling you it know, during he... the, the trial.
0: That's how he paid for all his lawyers. Oh, <laughs> Seriously, he would was sign. It, but a... it
1: was during a, a different trial, not
0: the one in the nineties. No, but... no, no, no. The trial. He was. He would literally be like, "Okay, I got to sign twenty-five footballs today from my jail uh-huh. cell to get fifty grand to pay my lawyers," like. If O.J., again, Chris Rock is right about pretty much everything, and he was like, it's not about race, it's about class. If O.J. Simpson drove a bus, he'd be Orenthal, the bus-driving murderer. (laughs) Like, you know, if O.J. had 50 bucks in the bank, he'd have been the dead man. But luckily, he had something he could sell, and there were people out there who wanted to buy O.J. Simpson footballs, which made sense until he was on trial for murder, I mean, anybody would want sports memorabilia from an obviously very gifted athlete, but, like, that there were actually people who were dying to be like, yo, you want to check out my new football? It's from O.J. O.J. signed this in jail. Like, people were paying whatever, five grand or something for an autographed football. And he would just do it all day long. He'd be like, oh, I had to do 25 footballs today, and then tomorrow I gotta do whatever, and pictures. And Chris Rock had the routine at the time where he's like, look, The guy's banging O.J.'s wife, he's driving around in O.J.'s car, he's fucking him in O.J.'s house. I'm not saying he should have done it, but I understand. Like, Ron Goldman was not necessarily the, um, I don't know. He was not, uh, he was not somebody who had, like, made his bed and was lying in it. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And also, it's not like O.J. hadn't been cheating on Nicole and beating the daylights out of her for quite some period of time. So then what she did was, what a lot of people do in these kinds of situations, male or female, is, oh, okay, well, you're going to cheat on me all the time, and you're going to smack the shit out of me. Well, I'm going to start cheating on you, and I'm going to do it in the way that's going to hurt you the most. Mm -hmm. So she was fucking, I think it was Marcus Allen, who was kind of OJ's heir apparent in a certain way. He was the younger, handsomer, new star running back that OJ had once been. And, like, so... It's not like I'm just gonna fuck a bunch of people because whatever you're fucking a bunch of people. I'm gonna fuck the guy you would really be pissed off at me for fucking, right? So I mean, like, that's just it's when, not just
1: getting some on the side,
0: right? It's I'm gonna fuck the guy you hate just to piss you off, and so like, you know,
1: like, <sighs> I mean, well, I I, I want to go back also to you, you mentioned Chris Rock, and oftentimes it's comedians of our of our day mm-hmm. who are our best truth tellers and also some of our biggest scumbags. Yeah. But also it's their scumbagger sometimes that allows them to be truth tellers. But it's yeah. I remember on Chappelle's show when he said, Imagine all the different things that a black person would say if a pretty white woman said it. Mm-hmm. So he brings on pretty white woman and she's like a uh like a singer in a in a in a choir, right? Mm-hmm. And so she sings everything that a black yes. man would want to say I that. and uh and it sounds so much better and, and you know the, the say it, the the point being that it's more palatable when the the messenger is different. And um and he has her sing, OJ's innocent and the crowd laughs and then she goes actually no he's not and then uh she says some other things then she sings yeah OJ definitely did it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was another one of those moments where uh, Chappelle, Chappelle is saying, I know OJ did it. Mm-hmm. We all know OJ did it. Right. It's not about the community anymore. Yep. It's not about any of this anymore. But as soon as white people accept it in a way that yeah. that they think that they're no longer being the racist white people, but just, you know, realistic or whatever, mm-hmm. then it becomes a different story. Or then, yeah. you know, we, we talk about it differently. But um, no uh, Trevor Noah, who's not very good, I like actually Trevor had Moore. a good... Segment of um the debates that just happened, and he had OJ. Uh, uh, he he said everybody's watching the debates, and then it cl- cut to OJ, who's now got his new Twitter thing. And so he tweeted out his video. He says like, "I want to watch this debate." To be honest, I don't know who any of these people are, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm interested to hear what they have to say. Sure. <laughs> yeah. What does OJ Simpson think And it's like, and 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 Noah's point was, it's amazing to how he thinks that he's just like a, an, a regular dude yeah you know, or how much yeah. he's just trying to be a regular dude, mm-hmm. which is really what he tries to do all throughout the trial mm-hmm. and all throughout his life he's mm-hmm. like i'm o j what are you talking about right I didn't right. do this I'm the juice mm-hmm. come on I'm your beloved yeah. s- football star right, and <laughs> he's still trying to do that mm-hmm. you know long after yeah. the long after the point uh has passed in history for mm-hmm. where we 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 we've we've got a a bit more of an idea of who he is more well than
0: the the documentary is really have you you haven't seen the documentary what the 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 big OJ documentary,
1: making, making in America, something or like made that, in yeah, America. made in America. I, I think I did. Okay. I definitely watched the Cuba Gooding Jr. documentary. Oh, so then you've seen all you need <laughs> <Yeah>. to know. <laughs> That's all you had to say. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah well, the oh, you thing said was, yeah, you stand the wolf. That's all you had to say. Um. But so the thing in the in the documentary that this journalist says is that after he got off, and he has to go back to regular life. I mean, he's just a legal citizen after that then like she said she felt bad for him eventually because everywhere he went people are screaming at him they're calling him a murderer they're shouting you killed nicole blah 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 and so it's like if every if 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 you are just going to try to get back into regular life and literally everywhere you go someone calls you an asshole all day long she's like i ended up feeling bad for him so it's like you know even with all those horrible things there's still like a, a complete gone chance at any kind of normality. he's mm-hmm. just flown the coop and what's even more messed up about it this is where I'm, we really see like the evilness of america is okay so OJ's innocent he can't be in la anymore he's got to get out of there he goes to florida and he's getting screamed at all day long and he literally doesn't do anything but just party and get laid and make creepy movies like like he's he's hanging out with people who are really messed up and he's just nonstop sleaze He's he's spending his nights. He's already getting laid all the time because he's OJ. Years before that. And uh so he's used to partying. But th- this time now there's a little bit of like what you might call a an X on his record, you know? <laughs> there's a little bit of a controversy about hanging out with old with old Orenthal these days. And he's getting laid more than he ever did before because he was on TV. Mm. Because he's just a celebrity. Yeah,
1: it's celebrity. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is the fucked up. I mean, celebrities America. getting
0: because celebrities getting getting special privileges doesn't surprise anyone, right? A baseball well, player, a America movie star, of course, is they're unique get cool stuff. in
1: the ways in which celebrity allows you to get away with murder uh-huh. <laughs> and and pretty much everything. I mean, we we've, we've got a TV celebrity president. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, yeah. m- most people, I think, probably approach engage politics in general about celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got an entire generation of people raised. Uh, where not only so, like uh, let's say it's the '50s, right? Mm-hmm. And you're really into Elvis, mm-hmm. and you know you've got pictures of Elvis taped on your wall, cut out from magazines and stuff. And you mm-hmm. say, "I want to be Elvis." Uh, you know, people would tell you you're crazy. Yeah. But you know, the chances of you becoming Elvis were probably. A little bit more related to the chances of how hard you work to try to be Elvis. Mm-hmm. But now you can be in your room with the pictures of, you know, Kim Kardashian on your wall and say, I want to be famous like Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And all you have to do is basically like take your clothes off on the internet. Right. A lot easier. And and,
0: and have and, a big butt.
1: And have a big butt. People yeah. were literally
0: injecting like, like concrete into their butts to try to have concrete. big butts. Yeah, some lady like her back blew out because she injected concrete from some quack doctor to have a butt. As big as Kim Kardashian.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. I also admire the dedication. Right.
0: And. Yeah. Uh, do you want it or do you want yeah. it?
1: And like, and that's also kind of a,
0: the failure of democratic culture, right? If you're in a culture that says, okay, there are some people who are just going to be better and we'll just go with that versus a culture where everybody's supposed to be equal and you can be anything you want to be if you just work hard enough, blah, blah, blah. Well, well that's some... not equality. That's. Yeah. Well, there's supposed to be a sense of like no one's better than anybody else, and you can you too can be just like the president or just like a movie star. And then you find out, actually I can't. So it's like you were told your whole life that all you needed to do was just work hard and uh and you'll be successful. And so now people end up destroying themselves trying to be somebody special.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to just get likes and follows yeah. than actually do something.
0: Right. <clears throat> which is really sad and it's it's like an example of how people wish that they mattered like people mm-hmm. wish that they were going to register someday yeah we're you know?
1: lonely we're lonely as all hell mm-hmm. and you know we've got this this, this ridiculous power in mm-hmm. this internet tool that allows us to feel a little bit less lonely or at least have the illusion yeah,
0: I'm not one of those people that thinks the internet is just destroying the world. I really don't. I think there's a lot of good things that come with it. I've had wonderful opportunities in life that I wouldn't have had otherwise to reconnect with people who are special to me, that would has completely fallen off otherwise, uh, getting in touch with people that I never would have met otherwise, and opportunities coming out of that. And I'm really grateful for that.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's kind of – you get out of it what you put in. Yeah, I don't think the culture has changed really all that much. I mean, yes, obviously cultures change. And the internet has had a significant impact on lots of different things. I mean, good a good little study of it is uh, Bo Burnham's film, Eighth Grade. I haven't seen that yet. Which, um, you know, is about a generation even younger than me, where the internet and broadcasting yourself is ubiquitous, but it's not something that, you know, your generation and my generation acquired it, you know, over time, mm-hmm. you know, pr- mostly in adulthood. and um, And then there's all these kids that grow up with it. And they've completely changed how they relate to one another in the world, mm-hmm. and they're far more insecure. I think and they're far. I mean, like maybe they're not. I don't know. It's. it's I mean, it's it's completely ridiculous to speak uh, empirically about generations <laughs> in a lot of ways, and, and totally dumb and stupid. Uh, but but you know, there's a bunch of people who are going to see O.J.'s Twitter account and think that it's worth engaging with or following or uh or something because of the number of tweets or follows or likes or whatever it is mm-hmm. as a so because of his celebrity the mere, mm-hmm. the sheer numbers of his of his reach as a person on the internet as opposed to actual history yeah oh yeah and and it's not as if the kids can't google him and find out what he did right you know but it's just who cares yeah it's who cares mm-hmm.
0: and 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 i mean so for OJ's perspective, it's like, well, I have a, an opportunity to get a whole bunch of followers. Why shouldn't I take it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And you know
1: 50,000, 100,000 right. assholes are going to sign Well, he to knows his that no matter what he to it. did, it's not going to eat into, you know. I mean, he's such a bizarre celebrity. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not as if, like, even if he got, like, me would you know, right mm-hmm. now, would it really change all that much? Mm-hmm. I mean, is R. Kelly... You know, really getting screwed right now. I mean, like yeah. he's definitely got. Is a, he going like, to go some, to jail or yeah, something? Yeah, he's got some s- significant backlash. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you know, like uh, a lot of comedians, um, Bill Cosby, uh, Louis C.K. You know, we're, like we pick and choose a lot of the time too. Like we we pick somebody to 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 put up as the. As the person that gets punished for all of the victims and all of the crimes, without any sort of systemic understanding of where this comes from or any sort of cultural shift, we just say, well, we attack this one person who did this terrible thing and abused other people, uh, and then we feel better about it and move on. And people forget, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's that sense of... I th- I don't think that
0: it's some people argue this all the time about like it's social justice warriors who are destroying everything. It's the pack mentality. They're out for blood. They want to take down straight white men. Blah 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 blah. And of course, there's that. There is definitely well, we've an only element mentioned of that. one white man so far. Yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> like, <it's... laughs> Matt Hanson and Lucas Spiro are woke <laughs> AF, baby. Well, a no, we, we could also just
1: be racist motherfuckers who are just trying to take the oh black, sure the black man yes. So.
0: Right, but it's also like a wonderful thing to point out that like a lot of people in the black community are like, no, we're not standing behind R. Kelly because he's a victim of the white, whatever. Right. No, he's he's an asshole, and right. we're gonna we're not gonna like rally around him to be all like, no, we got to protect one of our own. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a creep, and he makes us look bad, and that's a really wonderful thing. That's a kind of an example of how the social justice warrior thing is actually not true, um, because there are people in the communities who are like, no, we don't support. We're not supporting O. J. We're not supporting R. Right. Kelly. Bill Cosby, fuck those
1: guys. It's a matter of media perception, too. You know, people Mm -hmm. think that when the SJW types actually get some traction Mm -hmm. and some media attention, then the right wing automatically says, look what they're doing to our culture. They're completely destroying everything. But, like, it's one out of every eight billion you know, accounts of anything bad that could possibly happen that the SJWs actually get something going. Right, get something done. And it's always these symbolic things, like so-and-so
0: gets fired, or like somebody apologizes. You know, or
1: it's Cosby, or it's... um, Yeah, which uh, are good things to do. Travolta. It's great
0: that people know that Harvey Weinstein's a a creep. Yeah, but
1: then... But then, is Hollywood gonna change? Right. You know, I mean, without some sort of actual political effort, without, you know, the... I mean I don't like the unions in Hollywood are probably mostly bullshit, you know. It's mostly to protect it's 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 I I don't know what it does. I mean like the real unions in in Hollywood are the ones that are for crew, you know. And so yeah. Hollywood does it what it what it can, does what it can to get around using crew by filming in Georgia or filming in Texas yeah. or in, you know non-union states and all that kind of stuff. Um but I don't really think that you're going to change Going back to the celebrity culture, the desperation and the desire of so many people to be perceived as wonderful, above the world, transcendent, loved, uh, and, and, and beautiful, probably, you know, above all else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to stop people from taking advantage of those kinds of people. In yeah. an industry like Hollywood, or the music industry, or anything like that, right? And that destroys and them. Is real, you know? I mean, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and then and it ends up destroying
0: them. Yeah. I mean, look at Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I remember when that uh, reading. I didn't remember when that came out, but I remember reading about when it came out. Uh, I'm not that. I old. remember when the pictures were big. Yeah. Now they're so now goddamn now that, small. <laughs> 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 but apparently, I remember reading that when it came out, uh, Billy Wilder got a whole lot of hell for that movie. Mm. And I forgot who it was. It might have been Louis B. May or somebody like that. Major, major Hollywood producer guy jumped up From at the MGM? end of it. Yeah, I think I don't remember where it was, but it Metro was, Golden
1: Mac. Yeah, 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 no, I, no, yeah yeah, 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 but
0: I, I don't remember ex- specifically okay. who it was. And um, I'm pretty sure it was MGM, but whatever. He Hollywood producer guy jumps up and shouts, "We made you. You are dist- you are spitting in the face of the person who who created you, mm-hmm. right? You owe us, right? And that is kind of how Hollywood works. That's kind of how the entertainment industry works." Yeah. So it's like, we can't, you can't criticize us because we made you, but then since we made you, like, you're also indebted to this machine, which in a, in a sense, and you're going to love this, is really an example of the failure of market dynamics to solve our problems. Yeah. I Because mean, it's like, well, we sell the movie. If we get a million people to watch the movie, then they're the ones in charge. We have to cater to their tastes. Mm-hmm. So then, oh, well, what do you know? If people want to see O.J. Simpson in a rom-com, then, well, it's 10 million bucks. Right. If we could sell a, movie, a million movie tickets for that, then, well,
1: why shouldn't we? Yeah. Right? Or and any other thing. It, it, and a lot of this stuff that's come out lately is, you know, they're on streaming services, mm-hmm. not like regular broadcast or they're not like counting by the box office anymore so much as they used to be. So like yeah, most of the I – know, I know actually – so the Cuba Gooding Jr. TV show was actually on network TV somewhere. On TBS the or something. The Cuba Gooding Jr. version of the OJ story? I think that was on. I don't
0: I think remember. that was on
1: TBS or Maybe. FX or something. Maybe. I think it was FX. Mm-hmm. Then they put it on the streaming services. But so much of what's out there is through streaming. And, like, honestly, I don't know what the business model is for these people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They just seem to have infinite money, mm-hmm. probably from a combination of uh, subscriptions and, like, investor capital yeah, to make whatever they want. And then they secretly guard the numbers of who watches what like we don't right. know how many people watch a Netflix thing well it's you know? all splitting up yeah that was what happened after after Filmstruck
0: died people were like oh you know what's gonna happen is everybody's gonna build up divide up on their on mm. their um,
1: their criteria their classic stuff yeah. right so
0: well not even that just even studios within studios so okay do you want Paramount movies well then you're gonna have to pay 10 bucks a month do you mm. want MGM movies do you want to pay oh yeah know? yeah well
1: that's the you model know? for Amazon that's yeah. the model for Hulu I think you know Netflix hasn't gone that way but mm-hmm. but so Amazon is the one where you basically like pick and choose your 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 studios essentially like mostly for yeah. tv so it's like hbo right. or uh or showtime or whatever it is which is basically the same as cable except without except without all of the other stuff that you don't want from cable mm-hmm. like i don't know your local news channel or something like that mm-hmm. which is probably owned by a giant corporation anyway um but i mean they did come back with it's called the criterion channel right Curve. criterion channel yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. that's its own thing owned probably still owned by time warner or whatever it is
0: it's i think it's independent with criterion but they have um stuff from their catalog and then they'll they'll buy blocks of movies to screen for like two or three months at a time so they'll be like okay like the the first big one was columbia noir so it's like a bunch
1: of Mm. great noirs that came out from columbia in the 40s and whatever so you get the big heat you get all kinds of cool stuff i remember on on cable there's this channel called this Favorite, ever... I do remember that, yeah. And they they always name it out of the city that you're wherever your cable subscription is from, yeah. So I we get this Boston, yeah. What's this Philadelphia, this this Chicago, or whatever, right? And it's just old like MGM pictures, yeah, that weren't good, or like they yeah. didn't they weren't big names or big movies or whatever, yeah. So like I remember watching like I think it was called like Broken Arrow or something. Oh, I remember that movie with um uh, Travolta and uh Sheen. No, I was thinking of no. the, the the Martin Christian Chene. Slater, I wanna say. Oh, maybe. so I'm definitely thinking of a different arrow related film. Mm-hmm. Um but uh I, I think I watched At Close Range on it too, maybe. Okay. Um just just, you know. Films that nobody knows about or talks about mm-hmm. that are come from big studios. And so like you've seen all this kind of stuff sort of happen, I guess, a little bit on even in the mainstream cable stuff, but
0: Yeah. And then it's a and then it becomes and this is something that people are talking about a lot now. Is in the Baffler recently about the algorithm and how, like, otherwise it's just entertainment, completely catering to you. So right. then all you see is the same thing over and over again, and um, you're never going to find any other thing. They're just going to mm-hmm. keep giving you rom coms or sci fi flicks
1: or stuff about the pyramids or whatever it is. And if your taste has already been more or less the popular taste, <laughs> yeah. You know, then you completely narrow down the opportunity or the, the range of op- of options that you're going to give yourself, and that they're going to produce for you. Yeah. So. Right. And and most people have similar tastes, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, most like popular things are popular things for a reason. I agree with there, that very there, much. There's a there's a uh, there's a combination of oh, I want to like the popular thing as well as the popular thing appeals to whatever all of the songwriters that come from Scandinavia and then give them to 19 year old American girls. Uh, in LA to sing, they 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 figured out the formula well, like developed, you know, half a century ago at least mm-hmm. two and a half minutes of uh, something catchy, and uh, and it works and people stick with it, but it completely narrows the range of possibility for what's going to be exposed to you, and I don't know, like you could try to read the arts fuse and. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's your, you know, what makes taste, the Arts View special. You I mean, know? we
0: can find something for you that you might yeah. not have seen otherwise, and we can talk about it and give you an opportunity to hear about it.
1: But at the same time, it's like one of the pieces that I would thought maybe we'd talk about now. I mean, like all of the pieces that we're going to talk about today probably um, aren't exactly uh, off the beaten path stuff. Have us talk a little bit about a few other things. Like there's a uh, a list of things that are on streaming services of documentaries out there. Yeah. Um so for instance, uh Neil Giordano has streaming docs summer twenty nineteen, basically trying to tell you like these are the good ones to watch on streaming services. So just because they're streaming services doesn't mean that they're bad or that it's bad content, because we know that lots of the good stuff is actually on these, and that's probably gonna be the uh the way of the future, you know, in not too many years. Um, But again, we're confined to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, uh, Criterion Channel. Mm -hmm. is is really kind of the only outlier. But even that, you know, you can have plenty of things to say that is critiquing the way that the Criterion Channel or the Criterion Collection itself operates, you know. Anything that's been chosen basically like after 1973, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a coin flip. As to whether or not it's good. Clute? <laughs> yeah, no. Clute? What's Clute? you Clute? No. a Clute? No. K-L-E-W-T? Or? No, 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 no.
0: K-L-U-T-E. What's Clute? Clute is a thriller from the 70s with Jane Fonda and oh. Donald Sutherland. Um, and so I just thought of it as like, oh, really? Cr- Criterion thinks enough of this movie to make it a Criterion film. That's interesting. I didn't think it was a bad movie at all. I liked it. But I definitely... That's where she she got that crazy hair where it's like a mullet sort of. It's like hair... Mm. Bangs in the front and then kind of this crazy thing in the back, and um, and it, it was very kind of groundbreaking for its time. I just was like, oh, I didn't realize that Criterion wanted to like bless it with that much of a appreciation. Yeah,
1: it's a good movie though. Yeah, and like I don't know, I tried watching Blue is the Warmest Color yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a Criterion film. Yet. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, thirty minutes. I didn't get that. Into thirty it. minutes. I was done. You yeah. know, I I not and, and I watched it. We were both like kind of bored by it. It's three hours of nothing and i mean like i i have to say the girl was very good at you know playing a realistic young woman Mm -hmm. discovering herself and all that kind of stuff and i got that from 30 minutes and i was like you know what i bet you there's just nothing but sex for the rest of this movie Mm -hmm. and sure enough Sure enough, yeah. there is. But I didn't even get that far. Like, I, I was bored, you know? Yeah, yeah, like I say a lot of people went to the theaters to go watch that movie because, one, it got the palm door at Cannes, and uh, it's got you know millions millions of accolades and tons of lesbian sex. And so, like, right. that's kind what of What could a, go wrong? What could go wrong? The only thing that went wrong is that it was boring as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I remember so. <laughs> being really bored by it as well. Yeah. Um,
0: Actually, I'd like to bring up a movie uh, that I talked about, we talked about in our own regular human lives. In our human Uh, lives. The other night, last night... When we're not plugged into the server that allows us to broadcast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We don't have the matrix wires jacked (laughs) into the back of our skulls like we do now, which only permits us the ability to go out live to the 10, 15 people that are maybe listening. Um, Hello, all. We love you all. Um the dead don't die by Jim Jarmusch. Oh yeah, you just saw that. I just saw that. And the arts Views wrote about it. They they were kind of uh, about it. Tim Jackson. Who did it? Oh, Tim Jackson? Tim Jackson wrote it. Out. He's in Providence
1: right now doing yeah. his dispatches. Thought mm-hmm. maybe we'd touch on that a little Absolutely. bit.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's an example of like how it's definitely a movie that isn't uh afraid of playing with genres and um isn't going to Jim Jarmusch is somebody I've always appreciated because he's always demanded to do films his way. And he's always wanted to make sure that the films came out, were done in his particular style. And I really respect that. He always has final cut. And sometimes I think they're better than others. I'm a fan of his. I think I've seen almost everything he's ever done. I might have been. We were, we were counting him up on the bus over, and she, she'd she seen, them, I think, 10, and I'd seen maybe 14 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I re- I'm pro-Drumish. But sometimes I think he makes these misfires, and I felt like The Dead Don't Die was one of them. But at least it was something that was uh taking somewhere taking an idea which is a zombie film in a small town and kind of stretching it and taking it to a whole new place and so you know you get that sense of like okay well there is something unique out there and there is something fun mm-hmm. to check out
1: well he's always going to give you a reason to go see the movie though because yeah. like people like us who who are both fans of his, but also fans of cinema are going to be like, well, I kind of want to see what the new Jarmusch film is. You yeah. Know? It's like, it's I'm never, event. I'm never not going to go see the new Jarmusch film. Right. You know? And, right. and uh, I really liked uh uh Patterson. Yeah, I love Patterson. You know, I thought that was, yeah. but it was, it was, you know, quiet, understated, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh beautifully done. Some people said, where are all the Latinos? Because Patterson has a shitload of Latinos. Yeah. And obviously, you know you could sort of like go you can make filmic references and say well he, his his whole life is you know through certain kinds of very specific prisms his poetry his relationship to his girlfriend uh his, his job as a bus driver you know so many of the shots are just of him driving the bus and the sh- and the camera is like just basically looking right over his shoulder like um like limited third person narration in a book or something where yeah uh, you're attached to this consciousness but you're also detached and you can observe what you're you can observe yourself as you observe somebody else's consciousness and he's kind of like in a like a roving fishbowl where he looks through at the city from this bus and so like he is alone he is isolated he's not really of and for patterson but he is to some extent you know his relationship to his friends at the bar Mm -hmm. but like the people at the bar seem to like know something that he doesn't he's kind of almost like an interloper there He's accepted, but he's definitely different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. For one thing, I think it's primarily a, a, a black bar. Most of the people in the bar are black. And he's one of the few white people that are in there. Um, but he knows the history. He knows uh, what Joe Lewis, right? Yeah. Um, he knows the po- so. uh, William Carlos Williams. Yep. You know Ginsburg, Ginsburg, one of the Hardys. Yeah, I think it was Laurel. Yes, Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Again, you know, he does have these hits, hits and misses. And this is a genre film that he did, I guess, which is kind of... Yeah, a kinda... zombie film, yeah. And he did a vampire film not too long ago, another kind of miss, you know? I wasn't that into it. Yeah.
0: Um, well, he does the Western, he did Dead Man as the Western. Dead Man's just great. I thought Dead Man's a brilliant
1: movie. That's just great. Blew my That's mind. That's a great movie. Yeah. That's cinematic poetry right yeah, there, You Yeah, know? absolutely. We already did an episode on that. <laughs> did we? There's definitely a, a, yes, a picture uh, of Johnny Depp. Criterion Def. put it out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, at the end of yeah, last yeah, yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Again,
0: Criterion, we love you so much. Yeah. Send us all the movies. <laughs> Send us all the movies. So, uh, but the other thing that's nice about streaming is that they do have a ton of money. Netflix has a ton of money. They spent a billion dollars on um, programming. programming, and so you get these wonderful opportunities to see another. Uh, 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 Martin Scorsese, Bob Dylan, Doc, which I mean is just unmissable. There's no way in the world I'm going to miss that movie. If they did five more, I would watch every single one of them.
1: Lots of people don't give a shit about Bob Dylan though, either. You think so? And I think so. I mean, like, Mm. there's lots of people that do. That's just news to me. You know, uh, I I live in
0: Bob world, so like, Bob
1: Dylan just like Nobel Prize winner strangled a kid, and I'd be like, what does it mean, Bob? What does it mean? I mean, do but like, how many people? Would come to that film and not know that there's, um, you know, Patty Smith like <laughs> just uh, laboring through some bullshit story about mm-hmm. an, uh, an an archer, you know, basically like aping all of the uh, the mythic tropes, mm-hmm. you know, that these people drew on to to, to create their own modern contemporary art mm-hmm. in and just like in utterly failing ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And I liked Bob's like sort of detachment from it. You know, yeah, he didn't he didn't he didn't want to, as you say in your review, sort of like be the all knowing omnipotent voice over it, saying this is what it was like. This is how it was. At the end of the movie, he says, it's just ash. I don't remember anything from it. It's just something that happened 40 years ago. Right. You know, and he he probably wouldn't have done this film had it not been Scorsese. First of all. Yeah, sure. Because Scorsese was the one who got him out of another reclusive period. Uh, in addition to the sixty minutes interview that he did after, for the first interview that he did in like ten or fifteen years or something, because he didn't really do interviews during the eighties. Nope, um, he was too busy making shitty music. Right. <laughs> there's some good. There's some good.
0: There's some good eighties Dylan. I mean, there is. There is. I'm not. So I'm not opposed to the gospel phase i'm you not know, either yeah. no 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 <laughs> so, I, I i look if bob wants to decide to, if he wants to
1: be a scientologist i'm like they talk eh, up you know maybe that's a, a he's one more. of those people that gets he would never do that though you yeah. know because they they would they would ask too much of him <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right i'm not gonna sit here and audit i'm not gonna
0: just <laughs> do this process and nonsense <laughs>
1: You want me to talk to my
0: friends? Yeah, right. <laughs> What's a friend, man? <laughs> I'm not down with Xenu. <laughs> Lord Xenu. You're like, Lord who? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... you Lord know, of what? <laughs> you can't miss a movie like that. And I definitely did not. I very much enjoyed it. I was looking forward to it. And uh, it hit my expectations. It's nice how it's not about Bob. Because that's the thing, too. One of the wonderful things about Bob Dylan, and that we'll always... I'll always appreciate about him is that he never really makes it about himself. He's more than happy to do the songs and then just slink away into the shadows and let other people do their thing. And so other people very
1: much like to be the center of attention and that's fine. But well Bob does too. I don't think Scorsese lets him, you know. And mm-hmm. and, and Bob's definitely older now, but like so you can you can fortunately for us there's lots of these kind of these kinds of documentaries about Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh don't look back. And Rolling Thunder uh, are both kind of similar in that yeah. they're like tour movies, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but in Don't Look Back, he very much wants to be the center of attention, but he also wants to not be the center of attention at the same time. Mm-hmm. He does. He's he's antagonistic towards the press, mm-hmm. but he's obsessed with. The press about Donovan, mm-hmm. you know, and he tries to pretend like he's not obsessed yeah, with Donovan. He does. Yeah. But in not, but in pretending to not obsess about Donovan and the way the press talks about Donovan compared to Dylan, mm-hmm. he shows that he's very, very much, you know, self-centered, narcissistic, kind of like very hyper, conscious of his sure of his personality because he's a human yeah. being and yeah. he doesn't
0: want people to be like Donovan's really the genius here, mm-hmm. you know. And he puts him on the spot. He's all like, "Play me your best song," and Donovan plays his little ditty. And it's very he nice. he sings.
1: Uh, I'll sing a song for you. Yeah. That's what I want to do do. to sing for you. you. And it's like, like, not great lyrics, but it's like, that's nice. And it's it's like, kind of like, yeah, it's charming also that it's Mm -hmm. Donovan saying that to Dylan. Right. I just want to sing a song for you. Right. You know, like, I don't really care which one it is. I'm not going to be able to play Mr. Tambourine Man. Right. You know? Uh I got a song about uh there's a mountain and then there isn't a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is. First, there is a mountain. <laughs> Any idiot can come up with an it
0: <laughs> then there is no mountain is like okay now you're getting somewhere. Right. Then, then, then there, there really is, is that's where you're on yeah. another level that's, that's where light. yeah you're really you're really working that's hard.
1: the magic trick
0: yes that's <laughs> the sleight of hand that only only a little scrubby like, uh right. bushy-haired scotsman can come up yeah. with
1: oh they call it mellow yellow oh do they do they now do they yeah. interesting yeah. sunshine superman, superman?
0: Oh. sunshine batman no no sunshine aquaman <laughs> not quite
1: <laughs> but
0: sunshine <laughs> superman now we're going hurdy-gurdy man
1: uh ha- which direction man? does happiness run mm. oh it's a circular motion mm. <laughs> just like a little boat upon the sea that's yes, right yes just absolutely put things in perspective there Donovan. yeah just to give it yeah, a little yeah. bit of a poetic <laughs> yeah. oof, as it were <laughs> happiness um,
0: runs happiness happiness runs, runs. happiness <laughs> doesn't circulate
1: happiness doesn't jog it runs right happiness in a circular motion jolt Happiness runs in a circular motion. It's amazing how an entire HBO series called True Detective was based off of that one Donovan song, but you know? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which has also fallen off the, the wagon. I did season three I thought I'm very disappointed. Yeah, we talked about
1: that already. We I just did. watched it a couple of weeks ago. Uh it was whatever. Yeah. They're never gonna get back to the brilliance the of, of, the first of McConaughey and Harrelson. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the darkness and the humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tried to start watching season two again just sort of get a sense of all three of them. And, oh, season 2 is terrible. Boring. Yeah, boring. And I hate to be the guy
0: that's saying boring, but I feel like for you and I and anybody else out there who knows who can stand up to this is I you've earned your stripes. You know what I mean? You've seen enough movies. You've gone through enough different people's yeah. you know, mental labyrinths. <laughs> yeah, well, no. I mean, it's just like like when people just say boring and they categorically dismiss something as boring, I'm always like, "No, no, 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 no. You're you're being a, you're being a premium. Well, I watched season 2.
1: Yeah. You know, I I, yeah. I, I, I awaited yeah. its release. I watched it every week when it came out. Yeah. And I, then I probably rewatched it. And now yeah. I'm trying to rewatch it again. It's like, eh, yeah, I don't need to. It's just, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you got to, that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to go through the movies that seem boring at first, and then they're actually eye poppingly amazing, mm. you know? And then you can have the right to start calling shit boring. So, yeah, I mean, boring is, a, is a totally acceptable aesthetic statement, I think. You know? Because you, you could be bored by a movie that is non stop action. But you could also be bored by a movie that's nonstop, you know, um, uh, stasis, right? Mm-hmm. I find Antonio films fascinating, but 90% of people find them incredibly boring. And I don't blame anybody for feeling that way. Some people find stuff boring, but I feel like you just, you have to go through the stuff that it, it's boring, but I like it. It means that you can now decide that other movies are boring and it's okay. Otherwise, you're just going, it's boring, it's boring, it's boring. yeah. And then you're like, you're just signing well, stuff see,
1: what's See, what's, what's funny though is that like what we're probably what we probably so yeah maybe we've got a little bit of street cred but at the same time the films that we the things that we now find boring or are starting to find boring are what most people find boring Mm -hmm. and so yep maybe they're right and they didn't need to watch all those movies they just needed to be themselves right and live their lives without all of this you know anxiety yeah. hanging over their heads like you and i might have where it's like i have to watch Antonioni. yeah if i don't then i won't be respected yeah you know <laughs> yeah.
0: or whatever it is maybe it's yeah. bela Tarr, maybe it's tarkovsky maybe it's um i don't know somebody else who does really slow movies um but like you know i just feel like the more this is what i'm actually going to write about soon is that just the more you you movies are kind of one of our primary forms of media right now so it's like you know, the more movies you can see and the more you can expand your tastes and the more you can look for something that isn't ordinarily on the beaten path, then the more, you know, you're alive, the more you're
1: seeing, the more you're you're training your brain to be able to pick up on new stuff. It's so passive. though. This is, goes back to, like, the, the crack hour, you know, criticism that, you know, ordinary intro to world cinema people probably read. Mm-hmm. And also just, like, the, the way that critical theorists thought about cinema and stuff, too, uh, for a time. I mean, it's both... A capacity for mass mobilization but it's also an incredibly passive thing too yeah you know and so you're literally just sitting there yeah the more the more i watch the more i tell myself i'm absorbing you know culture and you know other people's perspectives and you know art forms and all this kind of stuff but it's also the more i'm also just sitting on my ass and, yeah and the more minutes are you know are just yeah. piling up on one side of a scale right. of doing nothing you know, or or feeling like you're doing nothing. Yeah, which I would argue yeah. you're not doing nothing. Right. I mean, as I, long as you're engaged. I mean, like if 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 you didn't, then yeah, <laughs> I'd be I, right. I, I would have yeah. wasted 28 years. Right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and you
0: know, Stanley Kaufman. <laughs> or I, I would have a new way to was... think
1: about how I've wasted 28. years.
0: Yeah, percent. Stanley Kaufman, the great uh, film critic, said, "You know, did we waste our lives? Yeah. You know, watching movies?" And I would argue, no, not at all. You wasted your time. If the movie flies by and you don't think about it or pay attention to it. If it's just it, a
1: consumer item. Yeah. Or, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh. And you blow your nose in it and then you throw it away. Then, it, okay. Then you did waste your time. But, like, being engaged with a movie or a book. Because the same thing could be said for anything else. A movie or book. Paintings. Like, I mean, I spent a whole lot of time looking at paintings in the past month. And, like, I only sharpened my enjoyment of paintings and appreciating them more and more. And it's not something people care about anymore.
1: Mm. And, like, I really... Well, it's so hard to know what's good in painting. and yeah. and, and we're also cynical, too, where, like, yeah. we know that the art world is mostly devised by... And Shameless. For rich people.
0: Yeah. Who just... Opportunists. Yeah,
1: they're opportunists. And they, yeah. they, they raise up certain people, and the critics are in on it, and then, you know, they sell something at auction, and that person gets a big write-up, and then all of a sudden, they're that generation's artist, you mm-hmm. know? And, I don't know, I was sitting in a cafe earlier, and the way that cafes do it now and have done it for a long time actually. I, I watched that Dumb Van Gogh movie, another boring movie with Willem Big Dick Defoe. And, and, and <laughs> Can
0: we or can we not empirically verify that Willem Defoe is well hung? Uh
1: according to some sources, he is because there are photos of him on the Lars Venture set for Antichrist. Oh wow. Uh in 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 the in, NIP. In flagrante. In flagrante. And uh before and after, they use the stunt double. Huh. So, the stunt double actually does the fucking in the movie. Ah. But apparently, he, he's earned the nickname. So I didn't know that was a... Okay. <laughs> well, Willem, we are all in your debt.
0: I thought you were cool before. Now, I'm, my world's rocked a little more. A little but bit. the
1: beginning of that film is he's all very pissed off because he uh, uh, had to put all of his own paintings in a cafe to try to sell them in a cafe when it was supposed to be a communal sort of like a uh, family of artists, you know, adventure where they would yeah, all put try to do pieces. that. Yeah. Art. yeah. And, uh, and so I was in a, I was in a coffee shop earlier and they changed the art. I imagine I'm not very, I'm not often in this coffee shop, although I should be because I ran into a writer. It's uh, the second time I've run into a writer uh, and it's the second time I've been there in like eight months. So, <laughs> but uh, I was looking at the artwork on the walls and I think it was new. And I was like, this is actually really good. You know, this is, this is interesting stuff here. Uh, it was like, you know, animal faces and grotesquerie in these kind of like mundane situations so like stuff you've seen before but like yeah but like big big frames you know like so these are like you know six by six paintings or like 10 by 10 by eight paintings and stuff so they yeah. were large and so like you could tell like there was some serious dedication work and thought and and they were really interesting and i was like well is this the extent of this person's art career is me Never ever ever going to buy this person's painting because mm-hmm. I spent four dollars on a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, <laughs> yeah. And or is it because I'm in a place where people can spend four dollars on a cup of coffee that maybe they're actually going to sell it to some of the other bougie fucks that were sitting around me mm-hmm. um, for fifteen hundred dollars or, or whatever. whatever it is, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so, but like to me, I was like, well, this isn't technically a gallery, this person may not be getting right. I said, I should have gone and looked at what the artist's name was and found some stuff out, but it's and that's and and it's probably even more difficult for artists than it is for writers because as an artist you're either making a living doing like graphic arts which means that you're completely behind the scenes you're part of a machine for writers we're just content generation generators for content mills yeah if we if we're actually earning a living by it uh or you get plucked out from the system by you know having connections getting lucky either being or or being incredibly incredibly talented but we know that's not really the case for most of the time yeah um some of sometimes it is other times it's just like yeah something just got
0: big you know
1: yeah you know i mean like uh what's his face you had a city on fire is that i mean is he ever gonna come back i mean he wrote a second novel didn't he I or, or a collection of short stories. Or he something. had a collection of short stories. So you were talking yeah. about Garth Risk Hallberg. Garth Risk Hallberg. Yes. Yes. Like he was the next big. Th- like this is the other thing. People totally like to say thing. the next big thing because they yeah. like to give people something. Yeah. So, for instance, on the last episode that uh, we talked about, uh, 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 Rushkowitz winning the cost or winning the Dublin Literary Prize, which is the single largest uh, uh, cash prize for a single work of literature, a single book, a single novel. And it's 100,000 euros, so like $120,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was her debut. Mm. She beats Saunders. The Milkman? Uh, something like that? Yeah. Oh, no, ahead. it's called Idaho. Okay. Um, And it's like, well... Yeah, maybe she deserved it. It's, I read, I heard a, an excerpt from it. It seemed interesting enough, but like probably boring as hell. I talked to a friend of mine who I trust is literary judgment, and I said, uh, you heard about this book? And he said, yeah, I read about half of it and got bored and put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's a debut, the literary world can get excited about something. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what they did about Garth kalberg mm-hmm. when City on Fire came out uh that's what they do about a lot of a lot of writers i think where they say this is the next big thing because mm-hmm. it sells books
0: well you remember the short story cat person by any chance right does
1: that, that person have a book deal yet she I did bet, yeah she oh, got she, one she uh, got yeah. a million bucks for it and yeah. i guess the book came out
0: and people were like meh yeah right it just touched a
1: cultural nerve. Yeah. and and that's the thing it's like well probably better off <laughs> just having her write more uh semi challenging kind of pseudo genre uh stuff in, you know in literary magazines than actually give her a million dollars to produce something that's not worth producing? They were convinced you know? it would sell. Yeah, well, I'm sure it sold enough or, or some copies, mm-hmm. but did anybody actually like it?
0: <laughs> Is yeah. it
1: good? Yeah. Is it, Does the million dollar price tag mean anything? Right. You know? Right. There were bloggers out there who are better writers than her, I'm sure. You know. Well, yeah, there's always
0: people who are writing these amazing books that are just never going to get read, you know? And there's always so much time. That's the other thing about a book. You really have to invest some time and energy into it. And I think the payoff is going to be great because of that. But at the same time, like you really have to know—you have to get people excited. A movie, at at the very worst, they've wasted two hours. A book, they can, you know, waste a whole lot more time.
1: Yeah. Well, or, or the studios ra- wasted hundreds of millions of dollars too. Yeah. You know and. I watched the thing about Waterworld the other day. Mm. It's this major, like, legendary flop. But actually, it didn't actually. It actually oh, it wasn't didn't a flop. Actually flop. So domestically, it ended up actually doing okay. But then international box office, it became a uh, like just over broke even or whatever. But you know, production things, you know, were made it like this major press event as well. You know, because Costner and Reynolds hate each other. Tried to film entire movie with practical effects on water in a place that is, has hurricanes and, like, major storm surges. Like, complete insanity. You'd never see Hollywood even attempt to do something like that now. Sure. You know? Uh, which is impressive in its own right. I've seen Waterworld, yeah.
0: Yeah, me too. And, I didn't think it was and, that uh, horrible. And uh, but the, the Cable Man seen
1: it six times. What's that? The Cable Man has seen it six times. The, the Cable, cable Guy. Oh, the Cable Guy? G- uh, Jim Carrey. Oh, he's, he's obsessed like, with Waterworld? yeah. he's like I don't know what all the press was about I saw that movie six times
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that's the other thing too is the movie becomes this sort of symbol right uh, metonym yeah right for some other kind of thing right so I've heard that movie referred to 800 times as a punchline
1: yeah you know but see studios will never go to the lengths that they went to to produce Waterworld ever again because one you have CGI and two you've got the streaming services who have so much money to do programming and they don't actually have to risk anything yeah you know like we are now hooked into the streaming world. That's yeah. how we're all going to get our shit. And so it's not like the they have to worry about ad revenue like the networks do. They can they can fail as many times as they want, and we're still going to like we're still going to have Netflix subscriptions. You know? Oh yeah, even if you stop watching it for a year, it's already in your TV. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the smart TVs and stuff. You know, everything's linked up to each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. But. It's on remote
0: controls, just hit the Netflix button.
1: And so, at that point, one, it's good because you can have a lot more stuff made, but then two, impossible to sift through, you know, and uh, we tried with the documentaries out there. A couple of good selections from um, Giordano. Uh, For instance, The Edge of Democracy, it's on Netflix. It's a provocative documentary, according (laughs) to our critic, from Brazilian actress and filmmaker Petra Costa. Uh, looking closely at our homeland's ongoing social maelstrom. So, like, I don't know if anybody's been watching the reporting coming from The Intercept, but The Intercept, Brazil, has broken wide open what Operation Car Wash, the anti-corruption um, uh, operation for Brazilian politics has has become. So, yes, there are some good anti-corruption things that came out of it, but it's become quite clear that it turned into just the state overstepping its bounds and putting... Um, Lula in prison, and making him disqualified from being the next president because he would have run, he he would have won the election had he not been disqualified for being in prison. But he wouldn't have been in prison if Operation Car Wash wasn't an extension of the state trying to stop the Workers Party from continuing to have power mm. uh, and elevate a fascist in Bolsonaro. I our critic doesn't mention that, so hopefully so I don't know no, I don't no, see you know, but I but I don't know if um if the if the, the documentary does it from that way or does it just, you know, tow the sort of standard uh Western media line, which is like, yeah, Lula and Dilma and the PTI or Workers' Party or Partito Trabu, Trabo de Hores or whatever it is, the Workers' Party in Brazil whether or not you know, just says, yes, they are corrupt, and so hence their corruption is their downfall. In many ways it is, but at the same time it's it's the state deciding, the state prosecutors deciding that what they're going to do is destroy the Workers' Party and elevate a fascist. That's the real story, and The Intercept better get a freaking Pulitzer for the reporting they're doing there because they are um, literally taking their lives in their hands with the kind of reporting that they're doing uh, coming out of Brazil. So, uh, check that one out. Uh, sounds really interesting. Knockdown the House, Domestic Politics. That's about all the progressive women. Yep. AOC, uh, et cetera, who who ran some successful campaigns. Um, seems like it could be fine. Um, that rock climbing movie. <laughs> oh, we, yeah. That we talked about, uh, many, many episodes ago. Uh, Free Solo. That's up there. Um, and, uh, bunch of other stuff but i basically only have uh documentaries and music to talk about too uh getting back to bob dylan's rolling thunder review though why do you think bob dylan likes to work with scorsese too much so much or he allows scorsese to have access, mind, that, have other access that other have? people wouldn't have
0: yeah well i mean <clears throat> i don't think anybody's I, or Martin Scorsese's talent and skills and sensitivities, like beyond as a filmmaker, is like way beyond question at this point. He's a living legend. So I think with Bob, like he's very careful about his private life. He's very careful about how he's going to be um, presented in a public sphere. So you're you're not going to mess with some schmuck. You want the best. And Martin Scorsese, as I was saying in the review, like, his movies are very musical. Mm -hmm. He's all about montages. He's all about soundtracks. He's all about rhythmic editing.
1: He's all about the Rolling Stones.
0: He's all about the Rolling Stones. (laughs) You put Gimme Shelter over anything. Yeah. And And it works. it it becomes cinema. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Right. I ate a chicken sandwich once. To the tune of Gimme Shelter. (laughs) Breathtaking. Um, And uh, so, I mean, he really, so that's a guy who really understands music. And not just in a film sense, either. He's a real music scholar. He did that wonderful documentary on the blues. Uh, he organized all of that. And all of his soundtracks aren't just really well done for music. They're also really deep cuts. Mm-hmm. A lot of his best friends were musicians. Like him and Robbie Robertson from the band are, like, ultra tight. And he's got huge tastes in everything rock yeah. and roll. He was, a fr- he was a fr- he used to hang out with The Clash. He doesn't limit himself. He really knows what's up.
1: And so much of his films... Are personal projects yeah. for him. Oh yeah, and music is very personal. Totally, and they can be. You know, they can they can conjure an epoch. You oh yeah, know, like immediately. Instantly. And, what is and, what would Mean yeah. Streets be without right. the soundtrack? Right, exactly. Yeah. And so and so, I think. I mean, in in interviews that I've seen of him specifically talking about Mean Streets, yeah. he talks about the music all the time. Of course, you know, and he says yeah. like, "This is what I was listening to. This was the this was the New York that I knew." You know, and it was the New York of listening to, uh, you know, Motown and the duop groups, yeah. and you know, the early rock and roll stuff. So, oh, totally. Or the early, the early pop music that grew out of rock and roll. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: and he is kind of the guy who set up. I think there's got to be other people who did it, but for the for the public popu- for the pop- popular imagination, like post 70s on, he's definitely the guy that pioneered the thing that we've all seen a gajillion times now, which is. Uh, unfamiliar song in unfamiliar situation. Yeah. So it's like a guy getting beaten up at a bar and you put on like a beautiful doo song. Yeah. Or, you know, some kind of crazy seventies hit. While these guys are you know sitting in a car yeah you know and so it's like that's that and we see that constantly quentin tarantino yeah. i mean what i was gonna say drank tarantino, that with his mother's yeah. milk tarantino is know? the only
1: other one who actually doesn't and i think is actually still probably original about it even though i think he's yeah, definitely yeah, biting then. yeah he's, yeah, he's um, biting scorsese uh, yeah the, and but i mean like stuck in the middle with you when he's uh yeah when, um yeah. what's yeah. his face is cutting off yeah. his Do ear I mean like that's that's another like one of those iconic things where the song means as much to the scene as yeah uh, as oh, what yeah. happens in the scene or what the scene means to the movie. Yeah. Um yeah. and yeah, but I mean like but also Tarantino is the uh pastiche master. You know, that's basically his entire career yep. is doing the postmodern thing, which is better than everybody else. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. And I think that's ultimately his limit. Like, yeah, I'm very curious about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Seems I'm looking like, forward yeah, to it.
1: it. It seems like a chance for him to actually do something like super original again. Yeah. But at the same time, he's just stealing from other stories. Right. You know, and like, right. it's going to be dripping with influence. Of course. It is going to be just saturated mm-hmm. with, with influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious, yeah.
0: too, because I, I, I peeked ahead. Uh, on Wikipedia, it gives the plot away, mm-hmm. not just the basic plot, but like the conclusion of the film, the denouement. And I'm like, Oh, so I now know how it ends, which doesn't really bother me personally. I will not spoil it for anybody out there for the 10 people that are listening, mm-hmm. but like, I don't mind spoilers personally at all. Cause it's just like, Oh, how is he going to get there? Is kind of what I think of if I already know the ending, sometimes it can ruin things, but you know, seven or eight times out of 10, it doesn't bother me a bit um because it's just oh interesting okay so how is he going to get plus if you're watching like a historical movie or something mm-hmm. like, you know you know like Lincoln's going to get shot kids you know um wait Lincoln got shot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird right if he's going to make that ending then it's... my question is when will Quentin Tarantino stop doing pastiches of all this cool stuff that he loves and make cool stuff out of it and start telling me who he is as a person what has he learned about life what does he care about what is terrifies him? What makes him interesting? Because otherwise, it's just hey, I took this cool thing and I took another cool thing and I threw those two cool things together and wa- wobbly doobly, mm-hmm. and that's cool, that's fine, but it's limits, it's a limit. Like, give me something personal, Quentin is my is my plea, um, and I don't know if he ever will. I don't know if he has it in him. Uh, some people were really mad at him about Inglorious Bastards, a movie I really liked, because um, they were like, look, like you don't know anything about World War Two. You don't know anything about Hitler. You don't know anything about Nazism or fascism, and you didn't even bother to know. You just were like, "Okay, I'm going to put a bunch of guys over here, and they're going to do cool stuff," and it just happens to be during Nazi era.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of his films are are, are genre specific, but at the same time, they're different genres put into different. Yeah, which you know, is this, cool. This is this is kind of a. Uh, I don't have any issue. Samurai with that, Western. But... War movie, you yeah. know, or a Samurai Western put into uh, yeah. into World War II. Um, and then, I don't know. Nobody cares about the Hateful Eight. That movie is garbage. I mean, do we, I think we basically have Pulp Fiction and probably Inglorious Bastards as his best. His yeah. most original, Yeah, probably like the Kill Bill series, yeah. you know, and honestly... They're fun. They're cool. They're fun. I like yeah. them. Are you a fan? I mean, I like them. They're not the ones, they're not at the top of my Tarantino list. Nope. Actually, they were fun ways yeah. to spend time. Actually, I, no, it's his first two. Uh, Dog da- uh, sorry, Res dogs uh, and, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp, Pulp, Pulp Fiction are pretty awesome. And films. then, you know, he really is like a, a much more mature filmmaker when he gets to uh, Inglourious Bastards. Yeah. And, and it's great. And then also Jackie Brown, which is his least Tarantino film. Yeah, and Jackie
0: Brown is actually poking at something personal, which I thought was really cool for him to do.
1: There's that great line where the bondsman says, uh, I used to be bald, and uh, then, you know, I wasn't feeling too confident in myself and I did something about it. And he's just, like, really straightforward about just, like, trying to not be bald to give him more confidence and, like, not, like, have to hate himself as much. Even though he didn't really hate himself, like, all that much, he just made himself feel better and it's, like, this really, like, weird personal moment between him and Jackie Brown. And I was, like, that's weird. Yeah. Like, why would this Why would this scene be in any other why movie? Why does he need to do yeah, that? You yeah. Know? Why does yeah, he need yeah. to do that? And why is this scene in this movie, other than us, like, showing that he's being a little bit vulnerable in front of Jackie Brown? Right. You know, who he loves. And she becomes kind of like a femme fatale, even though I don't think he dies. I can't remember how that movie ends. Yeah. Robert De Niro dies. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also got some um, Paul Thomas Anderson vibes from the trailers of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. But that's probably just because <clears throat> Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the great chroniclers of the contemporary California mm. life around the shitty edges of cinema yeah. and film and stuff. Does he even
0: know it's coming out? I don't think so.
1: He did the another Daniel Day-Lewis Phantom Thread. That's right. And, and that I think that was the last day-
0: movie Daniel Day-Lewis was ever going to do. It's supposed to be Daniel day Lewis's last movie. But film. he says that every five minutes. Man. Literally earlier today, uh, I'm not were watching this interview with Tim Roth, and he was talking about the movie Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, mm-hmm. a movie I love, and apparently they wanted him for it, but Daniel Day-Lewis had already been decided for that role. Really? Yeah, which is weird. I can't for think Tim of anybody role, but Roth in yeah, that role. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And apparently Tim Roth was all sad about it, and then he found out that Daniel Day-Lewis at the time was doing Hamlet, hmm. and he had an onstage freakout. Where he was playing Hamlet and he thought he saw his actual father, his, his real life dead father's ghost, and like had this like nervous collapse and decided he wasn't gonna act anymore. So then they're like, okay, you're in. You know? So Daniel Day Lewis, be careful when you summon the spirits.
1: Yeah, especially if they're an uh, Anglo Irish poet Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> named Cecil. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> from your actual review of rolling thunder which is a good movie yeah you know i think I highly recommend even it. even if you're not like a huge dylan fan Yep. Yeah. you know and and it's one of those movies too because as we'll get into a little bit later like it calls into question both through its content and its subject matter and through the actual material uh does this defy genre you know put that in big scare quotes right know? it's obvious it's a kind of a documentary Yeah. Uh, But it's also a bit of a road movie. A story. It's a story. As you say in the review, it's not the story. It's a story. It's very important to And we know that Bob Dylan is always reinventing himself. And as he says in the film, it's not, you know, the point of uh, finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And uh, Bob Dylan was always at odds with how the audience the wider world and the critics perceived him and wanted him to be and what he wanted to do. You brilliantly point out in your your essay here uh, that hear that bomb he, brilliantly <laughs> he he tests the limits of his own tunes from previous errors by putting them into uh the aesthetic that would that he was going for yeah. and, and and working with and and toying with almost like uh, uh instantaneously like i think i feel like there was a lot of like well like there was a lot of uh i mean the the, the sets are pretty tight and the the performances are really good and like we've all seen stuff from the rolling thunder review before because there's tons of videos out there on youtube with bob dylan and whiteface and so this is this is the tour from which the whiteface bob dylan um what does he call himself in this um mr tamarine man or isn't is doesn't he become he becomes another one of his characters in the Rolling. does he doesn't he i think he does i I can't remember i think scarlet uh uh rivera her name yeah yeah i think scarlet rivera calls him mr tambourine man or something okay. but like she's a weirdo like i don't even know how weird she actually is but yeah like, <laughs> i read up on her and i yeah. guess she
0: does celtic music now That's oh like really a deal. yeah yeah she's a well-regarded celtic musician she does like the fiddle everywhere okay yeah so she but means- also like he was like i went and i saw her like traveling case, and there was candelabras right and snakes she did big this big trunk stuff it's yeah like
1: things from ancient times that you know he's like well that woman's wizard you don't want to get you close to that yeah and he's like but i did
0: <laughs> and honestly what would those songs on desire i think a very underrated bob album yeah be without that gypsy fiddle right right i think so
1: i mean that's one more cup of coffee right mm-hmm. i mean
0: yeah this hurricane one, yeah and
1: this was one of my dad's isis, ISIS. mozambique
0: the version of uh, Isis in this movie? Yeah.
1: Any Dylan fans out
0: there? Yeah. If you haven't heard his version of Isis that he does in this movie mm-hmm. is
1: insane. It's vehement. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. He's really going to some dark place. And like a lot of the original footage comes from the filmmaker Penny Baker? Uh no. The 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 weird Nazi dude.
0: Yeah, who's actually um, not a real filmmaker apparently. He's actually a fictional character.
1: Oh, so who made the fucking yeah. movie then? Well, he, Ronaldo he did and it. Clara. Is that what you're talking about? No, the 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 German guy or yeah, the, the, yeah, he's like Dutch or something. Yeah. But isn't he? Doesn't he? He 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 shot the footage though, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he lies about who he is in the movie.
1: This is the other weird thing about the movie. Yeah, is that so much of it is fake? Yeah, and it's but it was but it's it's phoniness on phoniness on phoniness. Mm-hmm. So you you're never gonna get to the kernel of Bob Dylan, right? So Bob right. Dylan says, uh, as Oscar Wilde says. Uh, give him in a mask, and I'll tell you the truth and all that kind of stuff. Brilliant insight, and um, and and Bob Dylan was all about putting on different masks, different personas. You know, he's kind of like an OG hipster in that sense, mm-hmm. where he he goes to New York to be the Woody Guthrie, you know, mm-hmm. the protest song person, the 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 folk troubadour, uh, and then he becomes a little bit more like psyched out and then he goes electric and he wants to do like rock and roll and uh, a little bit more blues rock stuff and then he goes away <laughs> and he stops touring and then he comes back and this is after he'd actually come back because what he came back with those faces or uh what to return to yeah not to touring but he released a couple albums Oh,
0: after the seclusion and stuff? Yeah. Oh, he does like the Self-Portrait album, I self-portrait, think. Self-Portrait, yeah. yeah. which everybody hated. Yeah. Um, Grio Marcus famously wrote What Is This Shit? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like covers and stuff. And um, I think it's Desire and then like he, he kind of – yeah, he kind of like buys time with live stuff and the uh, self-portrait. Then he goes into seclusion. Then he comes back and he's all about well, Jesus. Well, he went away
1: from, from touring. Yeah. But he doesn't go into Jesus until after this period, though, right? Yeah. yeah. This is like four or five years later, yeah.
0: he's into Jesus. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't reject it out of hand. Uh, my friend Matt actually said that it was uh, not me in the third person. Uh, a really good friend of mine said that he really liked those albums, actually. Which so, one's the Jesus
1: album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, think most I think most hardcore Dylan fans... I really enjoy them. Like they, they they kind of just take it for what it is. Yeah. Know? I mean, like, I, I tried listening to some of his more recent stuff. So, like, he's got, like, maybe six or seven albums that sort of uh, represent a, a later phase. hmm And uh, he did a triple album doing the Great American Songbook. Yeah. And some of them are amazing. Yeah. But it's like, I'm not super into it. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. it's kind of weird to, like, hear him sing that way. <laughs> um. Oh, no. So, let's see. So... It's when he's away is when he does, I think, Self-Portrait, New Morning. Then he did Pat Garrett and the Billy the Kid. He does a great uh, Knock, Knock, Knock on Heaven's Door in the Scorsese film as well. Yeah. You know, there's there's some great tunes off of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid that I think are probably not... I mean, people may not realize that he wrote those for a movie. Yeah. Or that they're from a film soundtrack. That he appears in the last. Yeah, that he also does. Yeah, he's... Uh, he... Uh, count he he names the beans in the store i believe yeah he does some other things yeah um good movie planet waves yeah on the track empire burlesque
0: desire i love that title one day i've always wanted to write a book called empire burlesque
1: so yeah just um i mean it's bob dylan's as enigmatic as he always is right uh as we want as he should be the film's being submitted uh I think to the Academy Awards or whatever, as a documentary. Mm. Um, A uh, guy from uh, some some magazine calls into question whether or not it could be considered a documentary, you know, and it's the the layers to which so much of it's fictionalized. I mean, like, I don't even know if Sha- Sam Shepard, <laughs> you know, yeah. being brought on to it as to write, like, scenes for the thing, you know, are is real or not. I'm sure, I think it is. I think oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I remember yeah. hearing that Sam Shepard was there and so he yeah. was supposed to like, so like they were gonna film it all, make sort of like a tour road movie and then like also film some like weird scenes and then like there's that exchange that he has with the girl um, about uh, like psychic marriage versus, or, yeah. like, or spiritual marriage versus actual marriage and then they talk about them talking about that scene and somebody's like, was that scripted? Did somebody like, did he prompt you? Like and all that kind of stuff and so like in the film there's all these like funny little clues and stuff as to What's actually going on. Brilliant shots of Dylan, you know, kind of... Probably at, like, his best when he's... As a live performer. Um, those versions of those songs. Yeah. If you
0: don't want to get into the Dylan mythology and you don't want to hear all the extra crazy stuff,
1: like, you don't want to see all the hangers on, mm-hmm. the songs alone make it yeah. worthwhile. And you can get the CD. You can get the album of all this stuff, too. And An extensive box set. And uh, And that's worth listening to anyway. But there's these, like, great you know if you've seen any of the clips on youtube before seeing the film because these things have been in circulation for years now uh there's a lot of most of the songs are various shots of either just super close-ups of dylan's face and he's got these amazing sort of like really darting, expressive eyes oh yeah you know which it's like and and you know it's it's something that you can't actually see probably from actually being at the concert it's only being able to you can only see this kind of thing on film film or in a a filmic context or in some sort of um packaged edited version which is another just sort of weird kind of uh meta thing to consider when, when watching these performances yeah and uh his consistency though too of like what they did, like a hundred shows. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was that many, but like at the end of the film, uh, during the credits, he sh- Scorsese puts all of the tour dates that he's had since the Rolling Thunder Review started to today, which has basically been Bob Dylan touring, yeah, all the time, forever, yeah, and still basically producing probably an album every other year, the or never-ending now, which, tour, you know, the never-ending tours, what it's called. I was fortunate enough to see him in two thousand and nine in uh, New Britain connecticut in an abandoned uh minor league baseball stadium so big like place. again dylan yeah. is always the person that's like yeah he's gonna play your big venues and stuff like that right but everywhere he goes he always goes to these weird like when you just look at the list you can just like spend you know hours going through the list of the places that he's gone to and it's like these out of the way towns yeah you know and it kind of starts with the rolling thunder review where he was like i don't i'm not gonna just he, he'd already done with the, the band i guess big stadium tour yeah. and so he goes to the places he wants to play right. because he's goddamn Bob Goddamn right. Dylan and he'll go where he feels like going and and whether or not it's true or not, you know, you've got these, 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 uh, these instances where promoter or people working for the promoters of the shows are just handing out flyers to kids. You know, they say yeah. like, well, how do you get people to come to a show? Nowadays you get a, uh, a newsletter from Spotify telling you, Hey, these bands are coming to your yeah. area because yeah. they've been spying on you and watching what you like to listen to. <laughs> yeah. But in this one, they just go to like cheerleader practices. Yeah. You're like, Hey, you guys like rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, totally. they're, they're talking to the two uh, like dudes in, um, Either in like Providence or Lowell yeah. or yeah. Worcester or something. Plymouth, I think. Uh, or, like yeah, Plymouth. Yeah. And like they've got these really hard Boston accents. Yeah. And it's like, what would you be doing if like the show wasn't coming to town? Be drinking beers. Drinking beers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting hammered. Getting, <laughs> getting hammered. Getting, uh, getting fucking uh, yeah, shit. Yeah, I hammied. mean, fucking yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, yeah. like thank God for Bob Dylan for like bringing something to these people, you mm-hmm. know? And I don't know. Yeah. It's a fascinating film. Uh, probably going to be one that people will talk about and revisit all the time. I whether think so. you're into. Uh, genre bending film, whether you're it's into Dylan itself, uh, whether it's music and concert films that you like or something like that, um, check it out. And there's an amazing cast of characters. Ginsburg's in it. patty Smith makes an appearance. Joni Mitchell, uh, plays, uh, Coyote. Yeah. Uh, from his beautiful Pidgeotto.
0: backstage yeah. version of that amazing song. And, uh, um, Joan Baez is hanging John around. Baez, Sam Shepard, we mentioned. You can talk to, uh, uh, the hurricane, Reuben Carter. Yep, Reuben Carter's in there. And uh, uh, fun fact: it's not really talked about, but I'd be really, I'd be curious how that came to be. One of his guitar players at, during the period, I, I noticed him by face, and I had to double check it. Mark Ronson. You know Mark Ronson? Who is he? Mark Ronson was uh, Bowie's get, like lead guitar guy hmm. for like Ziggy and like a lot of the stuff after that. He's a big blonde-haired chap. And uh, he was he was playing in the background of that tour. I had to double check it. So he's got some, some superb... Yeah. Oh, and uh, Roger McG- McGuinn from The Birds.
1: From The Birds, yeah.
0: Yeah, is also involved in that. So he's got... And then he's got the uh, sexually named Scarlet Rivera mm-hmm. playing that gypsy violin business. So he's got some
1: crack musicians. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a bit of magic. There's a bit of... And by magic, I mean like both like... You know, transcendent real life stuff, and also a bit of trickery. Yeah, yeah there's some wonderful little interspersions of
0: um, international cinema because you yeah. know Martin Scorsese yeah, yeah. has all of that like mm-hmm. locked down. So there's little two second little snippets from different things. I didn't know where a lot of them were from. Yeah. I'm
1: really intrigued by them. And it's it's weird because like it's not told as a chronology either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like you you don't know like you could be watching. So the last. Live performance in the program or in the in the film could be from the first show on the tour. Yeah, it doesn't really matter, you know. And it's it you you really do sort of get immersed in this kind of uh, other world that became the Rolling Thunder Review. Yeah, and, and not... I love that Bob drove the bus. Yeah seriously you know or, or after all that or, or or he pretended to and wanted to be on yeah. film yeah. being seen as the bus driver right and like they, they right. leave they leave for you know their their first destiny he's like oh, we get to bus you yeah, <laughs> know it's absolutely. like as if he's got this like this like utterly like pragmatic and like yeah. ridiculously ordinary concern of getting somewhere on time right it's not bob Dylan. where are we gonna find parking yeah.
0: <laughs> i'm gonna turn into this i'm to feed the meter yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all gotta feed the meter, meter. we all gotta
0: feed. Everybody gotta
1: feed the meter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, check out Matt's review too. He did. He did a good one. We're all very proud of him. But also say goodbye to Matt. Uh, yeah. Because this will be the last time that he graces the presence of this studio. Uh-huh. He is at being, least in the near future. He's being, uh, I guess, being carried up on a fiery chariot, chariot, uh, and then being dumped in the bayou. So, Correct. them damn gators, yeah. get, our, get our boy Maddie Mayflower. <laughs> 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 He's going to New Orleans, everybody. Yeah. So, um, if if the show continues, I, I don't know if this is going to be um, our last one for a while. We may take a, a hiatus. Well, both of us are leaving. Let's make it a dual statement. That's true. That's true. I am also leaving. I will be in New
0: Orleans in about two weeks, and that will be the place that I live.
1: <sighs> and I will be in um, Ireland uh, in a few months as well. And that will be the place where you live. And that will be the place that I live. So So, ladies and gentlemen, we love you. And we, we appreciate everybody who has tuned in, who's Mm -hmm. downloaded, who's listened, uh, anybody who shared the program uh, or the show with anybody, even just the one time, you know, if you said, here's one thing, send it to one person and said, I think you would like what happened on this show or something like that. You know, we really, we really appreciate that. Um, And, of course, thank you to Somerville Media Center for hosting us uh, all these weeks and months as well. It's a great organization, great community resource. If you ever want to get involved in media of any kind, please hit up Somerville Media Center. And especially everybody who has donated on Patreon. uh, We've got a small little kitty of donations. And uh, those go to... (laughs) Yes, small small kitty. (laughs) <laughs> we have a petite house cat. That it's a be... it's a calico. <laughs> calico cats are the best cats. And uh so that's um. We really appreciate everybody who's donated. Uh, all of you who came to the fuse for the first time, maybe everybody who's been a guest on the show. Uh, and we we are are internally grateful. I know Matt is. I know I am. I know Deanna mm-hmm. is. Absolutely, this here. has been a wonderful experience um so so we may we may be taking a hiatus i'll um uh, i'll give a, a more formal sort of a message if that's the case um but we we we, we kind of wanna rethink some stratagems here and uh maybe
0: diana costa the the brilliant yes. and loquacious Diana costa may be the one to take over take over the
1: reins. so we'll uh we'll figure that out for all of y'all and uh we we hope to um i don't know catch you in the side mean. <laughs> Meet, only... you, meet you in a time before I was born. He,
0: he not busy being born is busy <laughs> Did dying. Busy
1: dying until right <laughs> 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 For the Arts Views, I'm Lucas Spiro. I'm Matt Hanson. We'll see you next time. Everybody, This is Lucas with a couple of quick updates. Uh, since the time we recorded this last episode of the first run of the Arts Views podcast, we have in fact learned that Deanna Costa will be taking over the show and uh, continue producing it uh, along with I think a few other people from the Arts Views team through the uh, resources at Somerville Media Center. So keep an eye out for the next iteration of the Arts Views podcast. And thank you so much to everybody who... Uh, Listened to us during our first run, and everybody who supported the show liked it, shared it, donated on Patreon. Uh, Special thanks, of course, to Somerville Media Center for hosting us and giving us all of the technical know-how and resource that we needed to make this happen uh, as we uh, learned how to do this and produce it. Uh, On a personal note, I learned a lot. I really enjoyed making the show, and I'm very, very sad that the current circumstances do not allow me to continue to run the show, uh, But I'm sure that Deanna Costa, I know she will do a great, fantastic job, and of course the Arts Views will continue to provide people with uh, great arts coverage of music, film, uh, other types of media, books, and culture in the Boston area, and of course from uh, all over the place as well. So keep an eye out for the next iteration of the Arts Views podcast, should be coming out relatively soon i hope i know i'll be listening and i hope you will be as well thanks again